Welcome to Gardening Coast to Coast. I'm Gary Polarczyk. I have a garden on the East Coast in the state of Maryland, and I have a YouTube channel called The Rusted Garden. Hi, I'm Callie Kim, and I have a YouTube channel called Callie Kim Garden and Home, and my garden is in sunny Southern California, and Gardening Coast to Coast is all about helping you grow a better garden no matter where you live, whether you're in the West Coast in a Southern climate, or whether you're on the East Coast like Gary is and in the dead of winter right now. We're all just trying to grow great gardens together, and we're here to help you do that. Yeah, we just got a first snowfall. So my garden, I don't know if people had a chance to see it, but I'm doing garden tours with complete coverage of snow throughout the garden, which I think is really cool because the plants that I left, like the okra, the tomatoes, um, all the trellising really looks nice with the snowfall on it. Yeah, I saw your post on Instagram there, Gary, and it does look really pretty. It's like a winter wonderland. And I have to say, I grew up in Colorado, so I do kind of miss that snow uh, but I don't really miss the cold. We actually kind of feel like we're cold here right now. I know we talk about that a lot and I'm sure I get laughed at a lot, but we just had two weeks of rain. So pretty excited. The garden is getting a really nice, good soaking. It's getting nice and green. I went around and planted a whole bunch of seeds um, right before it rained. They're coming up. It's looking really good. So I'm pretty excited about hopefully now being finally out of the drought. We'll keep our fingers and, crossed for more rain. Yeah. And I'm excited because this the winter really is the beginning of my garden for 2022. So I like seeing a blanket of snow and a kind of the proverbial, right? Clean yeah. slate, clean canvas. And I'm looking forward to really starting to plant. Yeah, it's really fun to have just the snow, the precipitation all over the country and the fresh rain is just really bringing life uh, back into my garden as well. So pretty excited to start 2022 off like that. And I know this is an exciting time because your book, your second book, actually, I should say, First Time Gardener, Raised bed gardening is ready for pre-order and it should be out and about soon. Yeah, we're hoping it's right on track so far for a March release date, which is super exciting. And I am really excited about this book because raised bed gardening has really just taken the world by storm over the past couple of years. Such an easy, effective way to grow a garden. You can grow in a big space or a small space. And yes, the book is available for pre-order, which is pretty exciting. Um, you can find out or get a link to pre-order over at calicimgardenhome.com. And I also am running some really special um, like free freebies with the pre-order. You get a $10 gift card to my website, which includes all of my seed collections and smart pots. Um, and that's available right now. You can just um, find all that information over at calicimgardenandhome.com. So appreciate that and look forward to getting the book in your hands. Well, now's a good time with the new season coming. That's right. So one of the things we talked about last podcast, and this is number, this is actually episode 11. And in the last episode, I should say, we talked about doing basically at least one episode per month of what we are doing on the East Coast and West Coast for those given months. So it's January and today's podcast is really what, or I keep saying podcast. I want today's episode for our podcast is really about what you might be doing for your garden on the East Coast in January and then what you guys are doing over there on the West Coast. Absolutely. Here on the West Coast, there's actually a lot you can do, whether you're uh, outside or inside. I'm actually doing both right now. Um, I'd say the biggest thing I'm doing right now is just planting some cool weather vegetables. And I've actually been doing that for a while, but it's a great time now, especially with all the rain. I just did a video on five uh, really easy vegetables to plant right before it rains in a you know warm uh, southern winter climate. So some of those things I just planted are things like all kinds of greens, um, lettuces, radishes, quick, easy to grow things that'll pop up quickly with the rain. 
um, planted some tatsoi mustard, which is um, a really quick growing vegetable and some peas. So those are all great things that you can plant outdoors right now in a warm uh, or a Southern climate that's a, has a little bit more of a mild winter. Now, are you, are you direct seeding right now? Or are you seed starting some of them? Um, direct seeding all of those, but I am okay. starting to start some seeds indoors as well for some of the warm weather veggies. Because I am just starting seed starting. So the first thing actually I just planted are onions and leeks. They take about, I don't know, depending on the variety, they can take 100 to 120 days to mature. So I like to grow them indoors, January, February, get eight weeks of growth, maybe two weeks into March, and then I get them right out into our garden. So they're going to be seed starts in my house for 10 weeks. And I just put them into their uh, starting mix two days ago, actually. Perfect. And it's funny that you say that, Gary, because right before we started recording this, I actually, uh, in the kitchen, I'm mixing up some of my seed starting mix, which I like to make my own. And what I'm going to do after we record is start some onions, tomatoes, and peppers. So I'm right there with you. We can get ours planted out um, within a couple of months as well. But those, the onions are great because you can hold those. They hold for a long time inside. They can get overgrown and they don't get um, too out of control in the house. So if you're going to start anything in January, whether on the East Coast or the West Coast, onions and leeks would be a good way to go for sure. Now, onions are interesting too, and see if I can describe this the right way. So when you grow onions from seeds, you're growing onion transplants, and they're also called bunching onions. So like if you go to Home Depot or a place and you see a rubber band around, you know, 50 or 100 onions, those are called onion bunches. And those are perfect to put into the garden, either grow them yourself or buy them that way. Onions are actually uh, biennials. So by buying them as the greens or growing them as seeds as for transplants, they believe they're only one year old. So when you put them into the ground, they're going to get nice bulbs for you. If you buy the onion sets, which are like the little small baby onions, which I'm sure you've seen and we've all seen all over the store, mm -hmm. even though they're small, those onions think they're second year onions. And when you plant those, the greenery grows and some of them will form nice onion bulbs that we want to use in our kitchen. But a lot of them will form flower heads being biennials, being at their second year, they're trying to flower and produce seeds. So I really recommend um, starting your onions from seeds indoors or buying the onion bunches. Yeah, they're so easy to start from yeah. seed and so inexpensive too. When you do it that way, you've got a lot of different varieties you can choose from. Um, I'm actually going to be launching a new uh, onion seed collection uh, towards the end of January. So I'm getting those all, all ready to roll. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, it's great to have your own because here we can leave onions in the ground uh, like year round and I just pull them out as I need them. So as long as you have the space to uh, you know set a couple containers aside if you're growing in a small space, then they're really, really easy to grow yourself from seed. So I highly recommend that. And I think one thing too, do you know what onion zone you're in? Uh, we are in the uh, short day zone, but I can grow um, intermediates. I, I do grow some long day onions as well, but they just don't get quite as big. So, um, right. you know, for people who aren't aware of what that is, that's really uh, like long day or when people have longer hours of sunlight, the onions start to bulb up at a certain time and they need those long hours of sunlight to bulb up and form like the size of bulbs that they're designed to be. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's, it, people sometimes confuse it with gardening zone. It's totally unrelated, but you're absolutely right. It's short day, um, day neutral, 
and long day. And I think it's like 10 to 12 hours, 12 to 14, 14 to 16 hours. But I like what you were describing. If you just put a mix of different onions in the ground, you may just be harvesting more green for the long day onions that don't quite grow, or you just harvest smaller bulbs. But if you just mix it up, you're going to get plenty of onions or onion greens for the whole season. And then just kind of take note of which ones do the best for full size onions, and you can grow those again. That's right. Now, one thing I'm also doing this month in January is getting my grow lights. Actually, I usually have grow lights set up all year, but I'm setting up like a new grow light station just so I can maximize the space that I have. So it's a good thing pretty much for anyone to do in January is if you're going to start seeds indoors, which I highly recommend that, get your grow light set up. And we've talked about that in past podcasts. Um, I've got a whole chapter on it in my first book, Organic Gardening for Everyone. I know we both have videos on that, Gary. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is just, you know, it doesn't have to be too complicated. Keep it simple. Um, Set up shelves and shop lights. And you're going to have plenty of space for to grow pretty much any seedlings that you need to grow for, you know, a, a family of four or so. Yeah, it'll save you a lot of money. And I'm going to do a um, series on just that, you know, growing for a family of four. Two four-foot shop lights on one shelf that's four foot long, 18 inches wide, will hold, I think, at least three seed flats, maybe four. But that's all you're going to need for a family of four. And you can really save yourself the money that it costs to buy the shelving and the lights by using your own transplants. Um, You know, and as if people want to kind of stick with with us through our podcast, each month we'll be talking about what we're starting on East Coast and West Coast, what's being seeded directly in the ground, what's being started under the lights. I'm going to be doing all of those, but I start with indoor seed starting, and then I'm actually going to do some sort of a modified winter sowing where I germinate my cool weather crops under the lights, and then in a couple of days after they germinate, I'm going to go put them into my cold frames where they'll grow much more slowly, but they'll enjoy the cold weather. They'll be nice and stocky and they're going to be nice and healthy. But more importantly, I don't have to use up the space in my house for the cool weather crops. I'm going to use sort of a hybrid idea this year. That's a great idea, Gary. I think I'm going to do that with my onions. I was actually speaking about space in house. Um, I'm very carefully this morning measuring out the space I have for my grow light shelf, which right now I only have a two foot shelf there. I was really, really hoping I could fit a four foot shelf. Well, it happens to be in the middle of our living room. And if I tried to fit a four foot shelf in, uh, on the wall that I have set aside <laughs> for it, nothing else would fit there. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to a three foot shelf and, uh, I'm running over to Home Depot later on today to pick one up. And so I am going to be expanding my space. So if you don't have room for a four, four foot shelf, just fit in what you have. And both of us, I know Gary have videos on portable, um, setups as well that you can put on a cabinet that you can clip to your kitchen cabinets or um, suspend a shop light like in between milk jugs with like little S hooks and chains. So whatever space you have, just make the most of it. And you're going to be able to grow some really nice seedlings. Now, our next episode is going to be on trellising, garden redesign, and succession planning. Kind of a lot going on. But part of kind of redesigning is also redesigning your grow light station or redesigning your grow room in your house, which I think is really exciting. Have you ever thought about bumping out part of the house for like a... um, kind of a greenhouse or a sunroom or something like that? Yes, we would love to do that at some point and just bump into the backyard a little bit in like an office greenhouse type of space, which would be really fun if we did that because then I could have my my uh, desk overlooking the garden, which I would really enjoy and have more room for my indoor seedling setup and all that. Be fun. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I'm still yeah. kind of pondering a greenhouse. 
I want to do metal oh. and glass. I decided it only took me two years to figure that out, but now I want to <laughs> put it in a place that's functional, not too far from the house, but I don't want it to kind of, you know, take up the view. So we'll see how we get there. You definitely have the space for it there. It'd be fun. Now you said you also, I mean, one of the things I do in January is I, this year I'm not doing it. I'm using actually um, potting mix from a company or seed starting mix from a company, but I used to make my seed starting mix too. Are you making it? Is that what you were saying earlier? I am. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's nice and fine. What I do is I make it out of, you know, the Coca Core bricks that are compressed. They're fairly inexpensive. You can grab them on Amazon. And then I just put a brick in a, like a storage tub, uh, hydrate it because they, they come dehydrated. And then you put three parts Coca Core, one part vermiculite. And then I also use one part of worm castings, the Vermistera worm castings. And it makes a really nice, fine seed starting mix. And there's not as many issues with fungus gnats when you use the coca cola as opposed to when you use a mix that is comprised of soil, because this is considered a soilless mix. So it's right. got the worm castings for the nutrition, the nutrients for the plants, and uh, it's been working really, really well. I've been trying it out for a couple or using it for a couple of years now, and it saves me money and I really enjoy it. The seeds uh, really germinate quickly with it. Yeah. There's a lot less risk using coca cola versus peat moss for fungus gnats. It still happens, but for whatever reason, they're just not around wherever the coca core is kind of collected and pressed and shipped over to the United States. I've made mine out of peat moss before, and I'm, I think the mm -hmm. recipe was five parts peat, one part vermiculite, and that just made a nice, fine starting mix. Um, I don't do that now for whatever reason, um, but it's really effective. And if you're looking to save money, you know, getting a bale of peat moss or getting the compressed, the finely pressed cocoa yes. core and making your own will save you a lot of money. And it's really, really effective. You don't need soil life in there. Um, adding the worm castings is great. But when you're starting seeds, and that's predominantly what I'm doing now, is you just want a sterile mix, get the seeds growing, give them some organic water-soluble fertilizer, get them to size, and then get them in the ground. And they'll love the soil life once they get out there. Yeah, I probably will actually cut back on the worm castings a little bit for my seed starts. Um, I primarily use that mix for when I'm growing microgreens, which is another thing actually I wanted to mention is that's one thing I, I like to do in the wintertime as well is grow things inside. So the microgreens, that works great. I, I use my little one gallon um, Calicum smart pots and you can grow them like from seed to harvest in about a week. I have them with almost every single meal. And so I do find like having, uh, you know, the worm castings in there really do help those grow. And then I can plant in it again for a second harvest um, or for a second go around in the same soil two or three times actually, because it's got the, some nutrients in it as well. So it works great for that too. The other thing that I'm starting, um, and I've, so I just want to be careful. So I'm starting as of what's today, the 4th of January, I started some perennial oregano, thyme, and chives. They're best started somewhere around January 15th, depending on when people hear this video, but you know, I grow a lot of prop plants. So in saying that the next round of plants that I grow, say mid-January or before the end of January, are my perennial herbs. I like getting the oregano, the thyme, uh, chives, even sage started. Um, they're almost indestructible too, if you can kind of get them out of the seedling stage where they're not bothered by fungus. And once they start growing, I just divide them up you know, over the next eight to 10 months until it warms up here. And I just literally get dozens of herbs to tuck in all over my property. That's great. 
Now, do those herbs last over the winter there or no? Yeah, they're totally they, perennial. Come back? Okay. Yep. Um, broadleaf sage, chives, oregano, thyme, all perennials, all f- take the freeze here. We get about an inch or two depth of freeze, very cold Januarys and Februarys. Um, and they come back, you know, like wildfire the following year. Great. So yeah, good time to start perennials pretty much no matter where you live as well. And I do recommend the, uh, the good old journal, Kim, (laughs) for writing down (laughs) when you start stuff, because you might be watching my videos or you may be watching Kim's videos and you could be in a microclimate or your garden could be just a little bit off. So the timing is really important when you're starting stuff indoors because you don't want them to grow beyond their, I don't know, best date, I guess I would say. So for some plants, if you're growing them past six weeks indoors or eight weeks indoors, they're, they become like little bonsai plants. The roots get bound, they start the flower, becomes problematic. So you really want to get the timing down, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks indoors, and then right out into the ground. And it takes a little bit of work to figure out, you know, when's the best time for them to get into your soil. Yeah, I saw you just did a video on that, Gary. I think maybe it was right after Christmas. Um, And that is a really good thing for people to pay attention to, especially if you're limited on space indoors, because before you know it, your little four foot or two foot, whatever you have, seed starting shelf is going to be overflowing and migrating onto the kitchen table, which pretty much happens to Mm -hmm. be year after year. So if you get that down just a little bit, you won't have that issue. And then you can get them out to the garden in the perfect time. So they're not getting stunted and they're really starting to take off as the weather is starting to warm up and you can get them outside. And we can cover that a little bit in the next episode too, when we talk about succession planting outdoors, but also planting, you know, the seeds indoors and, and getting them to the right size before they go out. Now I know I grow and I also sell at my seed shop, the seed flats, the starting cells, the six packs, bigger things, but you don't have to go that route if you don't want to. Like I was just actually in Home Depot today, um, doing a video of all things on using window wells as um, cold frames. But you can also find like when you come into your house and you kick your shoes off, there are these nice little trays at Home Depot. They're really big. They're like, I don't know, three feet long, 18 inches wide, but they're like a one inch tray. You can use that as a seed starting tray, put it under your grow lights and then just get different kinds of containers um, water bottles, yogurt containers, just poke holes in them. And that could be your seed starting setup. And I know that's what a lot of people do. If it's not time for them to start seeds, they can't get outside is they just start collecting all the materials they need. Yeah. I was just, like I mentioned, getting ready to start onion seeds and going through my garage and collecting a whole bunch of, um, like the takeout containers, the meat trays, things like that. And those are going to be perfect for onions because you can just put your onions in a, in a row, you know, fill up those, little takeout containers with onion seeds. Onion seeds separate very easily once you, you know, they're big enough to get outside and you're going to be able to save yourself money and then recycle and reuse something. You do want to make sure though, that you uh, poke some holes in the bottom. They always need to have drainage. So I was looking for the drill um, and getting ready to do that when I had a little issue in the garage with our Mm. light smoking. So thank goodness, right before this podcast, I noticed that. Um, So I'm going to be heading down and uh, getting my onion seed started after this, but the fire was averted. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's scary though. That's all it takes is a, you know, sparking light. Oh gosh. There you go. So I'm thank goodness for that. Yep, for sure. Water bottles. So I know a lot of people are on a budget. So Collecting water bottles, either if you're using them or other people are using them, or if you're not using them for the environment, you know, finding places that they're used, just cut that bottle in half. 
Um, you can even just cut the top off too, because the bigger the container is, like if you're using the full, let's just say, for the example, full 10 ounces of the water bottle, you could start a tomato in there and that tomato uh, plant can stay in there for the whole growth. If you're using something like a starting cell where it's that little six pack you see it, like the nurseries and stuff like that, that tomato plant will probably have to be potted up into a bigger container. So if you uh, have a small garden, put your seeds into the bigger containers and they can just stay in there for the duration until they're ready to get out into the ground. It's kind of fun. I used to do that with uh, two liter bottles and it's kind of fun to, cause you can see the roots a lot of times through the, the clear plastic. So it's, it's kind of fun to watch those grow, you know, as you go along. It's a good, I mean, it's a good experiment for kids yeah. too. So now you, my house is, is bigger and I think, you know, people are thinking about setting up grow lights. Um, you could certainly use your kitchen. You could use under the kitchen table. You could use closets. Uh, you could use basements and cellars. You could use garages. The thing that I would just want to impress is that in the house at about, you know, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 70, 70, yeah, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, your plants will germinate pretty well. Maybe you need a heat mat for like peppers or something like that. But if you want to try it in your garage or you want to try growing in your basement where the shelves are out of the way, pick up a couple of heat mats, just leave them on with your lights with the timer and that will provide enough heat for most of your plants cool and warm weather crops to actually germinate because the heat is staying right in the root system of the plants yeah i would just encourage people make use of uh spaces that you might not think about um, such as closets like you mentioned we actually several years ago we have a closet kind of a funny shaped closet under our stairs and um, we made that into a little grow light closet now it's, it's a little bit awkward to get into and that's one reason why I want to set up a better grow light station in my dining room. But you know what? It, it's got several shelves in it. And I think I can get maybe six flats in there. We put grow lights and shelves and everything. It's kind of like a little Harry Potter closet. Right. But um, the heat stays in there really well. The warm weather vegetables do great in there. So just look around your house, think outside the box and utilize spaces that you might not think about. And part of like what I like doing in January, which I actually should throw in here, I've talked about it on my in uh, videos and on my Instagram page, is now, I know you don't have it so much on the West Coast because you're always gardening, but here on the East Coast, everything goes on sale in the end of, really, end of December, in January. So if you go to your big box stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, you can find garden supplies at ridiculously low prices. So I just picked up, I'm going to, Hopefully you didn't see the video, but I'm going to ask you. I just picked up, let me do the math real quick, 270, 325 pounds of organic fertilizer, granular type. Oh, wow. Take, take a guess how much. Didn't see the video. Um, 20, how many 27 pound bags. Yeah, 12, 325 pounds. Oh my it's gosh, that's 12 a lot of bags, fertilizer. 12 bags, 27 pounds each bag. Okay, and that's wow. Not, not exact, but yeah. I'm going to say $9.95. So they're typically were, I think, $21. So it's almost $500 worth. The math's not right. We're just Darn. kind of quick, quick math. But almost $500. Um, I got them for $4.40. Oh, my gosh. That's for a 27-pound bag. Yeah. So it cost me maybe 50 bucks for over 300 pounds of fertilizer. That's a great thing wow. to do if you're in an area, you know, the doesn't happen a lot on the West Coast, but you can save so much money because that money you would save on the fertilizer, which 
you know, you could probably use for years. Maybe you buy yeah. a fence because you have rabbits coming in or you buy the grow lights to start stuff indoors. I'm also finding different um, garden dusts, you know, organic and mm -hmm. chemical based. Either one, buy whatever you want if you find them on sale. But sometimes they're only a buck for a container when they were $9.95 or $24. That's how crazy the sales are. That's crazy. Well, we don't have those here, but um, that's a great way to save money. So mm -hmm. that's what we're all about here is just keeping it low cost and budget friendly for people too. And it's real. I mean, it's really worth just traveling, you know, around checking out your local stores. Um, you can save yourself a whole lot of money. Um, they even had raised beds, you know, go along with your book plug, mm -hmm. of course, <laughs> that they were cedar and they weren't the best things, but they were like $99 um, cedar raised beds that just clipped together kind of um i missed the sale but they were on sale for 12.95 oh my god like giant four foot by six foot raised beds that you could just assemble wow. and put together i mean when they when they it's crazy yeah when they decide to, to get rid of something sometimes you find it for really a buck the walmart near us and i know i'm kind of belaboring the point but it's really important because <laughs> people are definitely on budgets one of the walmarts here in maryland you drive up and then you can just turn right and it's all their soil. So, so they had, you know, pro mix bag of potting mix, usually somewhere between 12 and $20. They were all on sale for a dollar each. Oh my goodness. And you just went That's down crazy. the row, all the, all the potting mixes and everything were a dollar a bag. You could, you could just fill up your truck or your car at a bucket bag. You can't beat that. I think I should come out to Maryland just to get the sales. That's Those are just killer sales. Crazy. It's good. So anyway, yeah, that's just that's an, great. So if you want to know what I do in January <laughs> when I can't be out in the garden, that's exactly what I'm doing. When it's snowing, that's what you're doing. You're going around mm -hmm. checking out the sales and seeing what kind of deals you can find. But you know what? People are on budgets now. The prices are going up. Um, the price of wood's going up to build raised beds. So take advantage of that time now in January when the weather might be cold and get your supplies, get them organized, and you'll be ready to roll when the weather warms up. You won't have to spend all that time and money out there. And when the weather's warm, you can spend the time in your garden. Yeah. And I think, you know, let's, before we get into part two, just to sum up what I'm doing January, besides looking for sales, of course, <laughs> um, I've got my onions started. I've got my leeks started. I've started my perennial herbs, the thyme, oregano, um, chives, some sage. I actually also started lavender and rosemary because they are really slow growers. And they're also best too, is if you, um, why did I just lose it? What is stratify them? If you stick them in your yes. refrigerator for four weeks, let those rosemary and lavender seeds get really cold and then plant them, you'll get a bunch, a, a better germination rate. But that's kind of where I'm at for January. Next week, I'm going to roll in some perennial flowers. And then come February, I'll really start picking up the planting. So just to summarize then, I think it's a good idea to kind of summarize you on the East Coast, me on the West Coast here. Um, I am still spending quite a bit of time outside planting um, co-other vegetables, quick, easy to grow vegetables before rain, and then just getting going with my indoor seeds, starting with onions, tomatoes, and peppers. And then uh, just getting the grow light set up and getting everything uh, in gear for seed starting indoors. I'm kind of getting excited, excited for, the, uh, for the season. Yeah, me too. So I know, I mean, and the other thing I do is I kind of just like when I was walking through the garden, just looking at the snow is I just kind of imagine what changes I'm going to be making 
you know, for the, this coming year. This year, I'm going to try and rearrange my garden so like vegetables will be growing, being grown in the same space so that I don't have to kind of hop around to take care of tomato plants. But more importantly, I'm going to try and live off of what I grow in the garden, minus a protein and, you know, some other stuff I have to buy. But I'm really going to try and maximize my space for continued production really through spring all the way into fall next year. Or all the way into winter, I should say, next year. I think that's a great goal, Gary. Um, and actually, we just talked about goals on my uh, podcast, not my podcast, <laughs> my uh, live stream yesterday. And people were really excited just to, you know, kick off 2022 and start thinking about, you mentioned garden redesign, about things that you want to do in your garden for 2022. And I have to say, I think I'm more excited this year for spring garden season, even though we garden here year round than I've ever been just because we're thinking about, or we are going to be redesigning some major sections of our garden. So um, really just utilizing the space that we have better. There's a lot of space that we're wasting. Um, and I'll, I'll share more about that in uh, future videos and future podcasts. So we're very excited about that and just maximizing, maybe not growing like quite as many of one vegetable. So we have a better variety of vegetables growing. So we don't get too sick of, you know, like tons of kale or whatever, kind of like what you mentioned, really gearing our gardens more for what we like to eat and the type of simple cooking that we like to do. So very excited about that. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in, in future episodes. In the next episode, we are going to definitely talk about trellising and redesign. With that, I always ask you, where's the, the status of your, <laughs> of your deck right now? Well, we are still waiting for a bid from the second contractor that we interviewed. Oh my goodness. And uh, I know it's like taken forever, but um, you know, we had the two weeks of, you know, Christmas and New Year's in there that, so that kind of slowed things down, but we're, we're excited because we ordered some samples of the type of material that we want to use. So we're, we've got the samples laid down out there. We're kind of, you know, going back and forth between the different colors and working on the design and things like that. But it's been a little bit longer of a process we planned on, but we're very excited about it. I think you should have a contest and then the people that win, maybe like a dozen of them, they can all come to your place and <laughs> help help you redesign your garden. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's been quite a process, but it's really going to change the look of our backyard. So we're very excited about it. Well, I hope it gets there. That's taking so yeah, long. It is. It'll be exciting though. <laughs> Yeah, very exciting. Well, we do have some listener Q's and A's before we get into part two. So um, you can read a couple of those here. Sure. If you could read them, that'd be great. Sure. No problem. Um, okay. First one comes from Tanya in Southeast Michigan, which is in zone 6A. What does diatomaceous earth do and how do I apply it? Also, can I use it on my indoor plants as well? This is my first attempt at indoor gardening and seed starting for spring 2022. I'm learning so much from you and Kim, both individually and the collaboration podcast. Thank you. So diatomaceous earth is um, silica. It's kind of these sharp, tiny microscopic shells from sea life. And it's basically mined out of the ocean, the oceans that have actually dried. Um, there are organic versions and there are versions that aren't organic. What the difference is, I'm not exactly sure. Um, it might be some trace elements, but the organic version is really safe. You, people actually use that in their food, believe it or not, and they use it on pets and stuff like that. So to answer your question, you can use it indoors. You just want to be careful you're not having it kind of float through the air and you're breathing it in because it can irritate your lungs and stuff like that or your eyes. Um, I use it mostly outdoors um, for specific insects like 
any kind of insect that has a shell, like a beetle or something, this is really effective against because the fine dust gets into their joints and it kind of grinds their joints away and this waxy coating on their joints and they dehydrate and it kills them off. So it is really effective. Yeah, I primarily had used it for ants outside when I get ant infestations, which we often do in the summertime. Just kind of sprinkle around my plants and you can even um, sprinkle it or there's a little dust puffer sometimes that comes with a di- with the diatomaceous earth. But again, you do want to be careful that you don't breathe it in because it can really irritate your your lungs. But yeah, I found it's very effective. And I also would say before you're using that in your garden or before, indoors or outdoors or before you're using any spray or any insecticide or any kind of um, fungicide, just make sure you're using it because you have a reason. Sometimes as new gardeners, we get scared or we get worried or we read something and we start dousing everything with, say, diatomaceous earth or with baking soda spray. You don't want to do prevention and you don't want to use any of these chemicals, organic or not, when you don't need it. So really try and identify what the issue is before you start using any products like this. And always test spray as well, or test sprinkle. For sure. Yeah. Okay, so next um, question, actually, it's a comment and a very, very wonderful comment at that from Diana in Southeast Tennessee. And Diana says, I'm originally from DC, Maryland, so it was easy for me to subscribe to Gary's channel three years ago and found Kim then too. My little one and I had just moved back to my elderly mother's house. A lot of sad stuff was going on. The house was hoarded. The yard severely neglected. My brother and two family members passed and I had several surgeries. I worked to clean the inside and then focused outside. Weeds had grown, poison ivy and evil thorns. Mm. I had some help and we got a lot of the yard manageable. The only plant I managed to get into the dirt that grew was was cucumbers. I started my compost pile and watched every gardening related video I could. And the two of you taught me so much, had great success and opportunities for learning along the way. Gardening gave me hope and the drive to rehab. That's awesome. Last spring, I went crazy with seed starting and had over 150 pepper plants, plus every other seed I just had to have is why I bought a t-shirt that says it's not hoarding its plants. (laughs) I love that. I wanted you both to know how much you are appreciated and how much your work, how important your work is to strangers. Thank you. That's wonderful. I mean, that's a transformation too. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, you had so much kind of happen in your life, but, you know, personally to kind of transform yourself and the outdoors. I mean, that's wonderful. I hope you get a lot of happiness out of it. And 150 pepper plants is not too shabby. That's that's pretty impressive. Amazing. I think you went from beginning gardener to expert gardener in just a short period of time. So way to go. And it definitely takes um, you being determined to make a change in your life and then taking the action and the steps to make it happen. So it's great to hear. And thank you so much for your, for your kind words too. Well, one of the things I like about gardening in this story kind of made me think about it is sometimes in the work that I did when I was a therapist and stuff like that, or other jobs before that, sometimes you're doing work and it seems like progress can be slow in your life or with the different kind of work you're doing. Um, I love gardening because you put an effort in and then maybe a, a week later you see growth and then you put in more effort and then you see more growth and then you put in more effort and then you're able to harvest something and then you can share that with people with family with friends so it's really i think kind of 
don't know what the right word is. It's just a great routine to the, to kind of give energy to something and then it kind of gives back to you and it just really builds on itself. And that's one of the reasons I love gardening. You just, you get to see the actual growth of, of your yeah. work. Absolutely. I always say that, um, and I know this in my own life to be true, that there's so many more rewards to gardening than just, you know, the delicious food that you get to harvest. It just helps your mental health. It helps me after a stressful day, just headed out there and a relaxing. And it's just, there's something about just planting a seed in the ground and seeing it grow. It does take patience. You learn that along the way, but then being able to nurture it and harvest it, it's just such a satisfying, exciting feeling. And we can all do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we have one more question today, and this one's from Teneria. Don't know if I said your name correctly, but your question is, I love the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm in my first year of gardening. When do I stop watering onions and garlic? I planted my garlic in November, and I will plant onions around May 1st. So congratulations on your first year, and you could have stopped watering two months ago. <laughs> now, that... <laughs> Maybe. Now, on the West Coast, you may not be planning it exactly that way. But as, aside from the rain that you've been just getting, you know, for the last two weeks, you may have to be watering once a week or something like that. Here on the East Coast, right. once I get them in, say, November, I water them in well, we get enough rain and moisture that there's not a whole lot that I have to do to take care of them. So that's always one of the hardest questions to answer is how often does people ask, how often do I water? You really water based on the needs of the plant based on kind of the climate and what's going on in your area. If you're in doubt, you know, once every 10 to 14 days is perfectly fine. Now that you're into the colder winter, you could probably just let it go until spring. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Gary. Uh, I get asked that question so much is how much do I water uh, here in California? Like you mentioned, I haven't had to water for several weeks at least during the winter. I cut back on my watering quite a bit because I don't get as much sunlight. But I feel like what she might have been referring to is the fact that when garlic is getting ready to harvest, like two to four weeks before you're harvesting, the bottoms of the plants kind of start to brown. And that's one sign or yellow. That's one sign that um, they're starting to you know, develop their bulbs and you can harvest them you know, pretty soon. So I generally do stop watering my garlic at about that stage. Um and then usually about two to four weeks later, I'll kind of do a little test, like put my finger in the soil and see how big the garlic or the onion is. And then maybe even pull a test, a test or two onion or garlic, mm -hmm. see how big it is. Um, and I pretty much do the same thing with my onions, although I pretty much just harvest my onions as needed. But once those bottom parts of the plant start to yellow or start to kind of look brown is a sign that they don't need as much water. They're done bulbing up and you'll be ready to harvest pretty soon. Okay, so that's our, our questions that we had. And if you all uh, would like to send us questions, please email us at gardening coast to coast. That's coast, the number two coast at gmail.com. Or there's also a form that you can fill out on the website, gardening coast to coast.net. And we'll be doing a Q&A episode um, probably about once a month or so. We'd love to have questions um, and answer them on those episodes. So I know like people ask me all the time and I know that you grow greens because you were talking about that and you grow tomatoes. I don't grow a whole lot indoors for harvesting. I guess I could, but I'm really focused on trying to get my seed starts ready to go outside. And I like kind of just working outside. Um, yeah. But you've had success with growing vegetables indoors. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, 
get a little stir crazy in the wintertime and they want that green inside. They miss being out in the garden. And I know for me, I mean, I can, I can get outside and garden year round, but I love having stuff right at my fingertips. I love having the microgreens right on my uh, countertop. I love having the herbs right on my windowsill. Um, you know, I had a bowl of soup for lunch. I had microgreens right there. I just snipped it, threw it in my soup, or as if I had to go outside. I mean, it's not that far, but <laughs> no, <laughs> if I had to I go outside, especially when it was raining last week, and grab, um, you know, a piece of kale or a little mustard green or whatever to top my soup with, I probably wouldn't do it. So just having those easy vegetables inside not only kind of lift those winter blues, but make the vegetables um, super easy to access. So the microgreens are like a no-brainer. Um, the other thing I love is I mentioned herbs, but then the little tiny Tim, um, it's like a little dwarf, very compact tomato. You can grow it in a five gallon container inside. And I've gotten some tomatoes off of it, you know, indoors, not like as many as you get outside, but enough to top your lunchtime salad with. So it's a really fun way to grow in the wintertime. And I, I know what you mean about the herbs. I mean, I could go out to my larger garden, but right now I'd have to walk through the snow and I don't feel like doing that. Yeah. So when, when people are thinking about building and planning their garden, I also moved a feed container. Like you go to tractor supply company and you'll see those big metal containers for, uh, usually for water and they have yeah. a, a hole in the bottom, but I put one of those near my back door, filled it full of herbs. And that's a lot easier to walk out and kind of snip and clip and, and use them in the garden. So you want to kind of think strategy about being able to access something. That's right. Just get things accessible. If you're not one to go outdoors in the wintertime, then do something inside. You can do a lot on windowsills in the winter or with your very simple, you know, grow light setup, a little uh, clamp light kit, uh, clamp to your uh, kitchen cabinet will grow a pot of herbs. So whatever you have to do, you know, just use, make use of the space that you have. Now for really starting, cause that's what we're doing here. Um, in Maryland or on the East coast is you want to figure out your frost date for seed starting. And why do you want to do that? So first of all, you can go to weather.com. You're looking up any historical weather chart for last year, and you're really looking for a 30 day period. And for here in Maryland, let's just say it's March 15th. That's when the chance of frost is like 99%. It's not going to happen. So I look two weeks ahead of that date, two weeks behind that date. And that kind of gives me my target for seed starting. What do I mean by that? So your tomato plants, your pepper plants, your eggplant, your warm weather crops love to go out into warm soil, which you guys have over there on the West Coast. They like 50 or 60 degree soil, 70, 80 degree days. So if I start them in January, that's four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. That's way too long for growing those plants indoors, and they're not going to be healthy. I also don't want to start them in January, get them to the eight-week period, and then try and get them outside when it's cold. So you pick the date that's best for them. That's March 15th, and then you count backwards. So I count back six or eight weeks for tomato plants. That's when I start them indoors. Let's just say 10 to 12 weeks for pepper plants. That's when I start them indoors. And if I'm going to grow cucumbers or squash or zucchini, I make sure they're only growing indoors for about three weeks. But that's sort of how you plan out and I have a full video on it if people want to go to my YouTube channel, The Rusted Garden. Um, I detail it with some pictures and stuff like that to make it easier to understand. But you really want to get the timing down from out of the house into the right soil temperature. Not just the outdoor temperature of the ambient temperature of the air, but the actual soil. 
Yeah, that's a great way to kind of give a general overview. Um, and, you know, a little trial and error over, you know, the next year or two at your gardening. It's no big deal if you get things out a little bit too early. I've done that many a time and then had a little bit of cold damage on them or the plants have gotten stunted, like in the case of peppers. But And there's lots of different places you can find your frost day. I always tend to look on uh, almanac.com where it's kind of cool. You have like, it's called a frost date calculator. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can type in your zip code it'll tell you the average last frost date for your area and the average first frost date. So as a gardener, and if you're a first time gardener, you might not know this, that's something that you do always wanna know. You also always wanna pay attention to the weather in case you do get that kind of crazy frost after your last frost date, you can you know take care of your plants and cover them if needed. Now for Southern gardeners, I think it's been, I don't know, I wanna say maybe three years since I've gotten a frost in the garden. So um, we don't often have to worry too much about that. However, we do have the issue, like right now, it's, we're, we're calling it a cold snap, all right? <laughs> all right. It's, um, we've had a couple of weeks of probably night temperatures in the 30s, which is very unusual for us. So our soil temperature really is getting a lot colder than it normally does in the wintertime. So I am going to have to pay attention to not getting my plants out too early. So there's no way I would put a cucumber plant out right now just because tomorrow it's supposed to be 70 degrees because the soil temperature is going to be way too cold. The nights are still way too cold for the warmer their vegetables. Although they won't freeze, they're just not going to take off until the soil temperature warms up and the air temperature warms up. So, um, you know, right now for Southern gardeners, you can start just about any cold weather vegetable outdoors. So um, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, so get out there and do that now because by the time we hit March, it's too hot for those vegetables here. Right. So they're starting to, you know, bolt, go to seed, die off. And that's when we want to get our warm weather veggies in the ground. And you know what tip I have for that? What's that? A journal. So <laughs> if, because you don't know. And no, you don't. You, the point that you just said is if you start certain plants now, come March, it's way too hot. So a lot of gardeners here, well, you plant cool weather crops in the spring. You plant warm weather crops late spring, summer. You know, in many places you can plant again late summer for a fall harvest or fall for a winter harvest. Those dates aren't set anywhere. It's really based on right. what happens in your immediate area with that soil temperature. Um, and I don't know about you, but I can't remember like what I had for dinner three days ago. So I do, I do jot <laughs> down a lot of things. But if you try putting, say, peas in in January and they, you put them in and they freeze, well, then you know, okay, January doesn't work. If you do it February and they grow pretty well, then you're like, okay, February works. If you do it in May and it gets too warm and you see that they don't produce, then you know you kind of planted them too late. So with some practice and time and taking notes, you can figure out the right time to start stuff indoors, to start seeds outdoors. And even in many places, you know, grow a second round of cool weather crops like, like here on the East Coast. Or sometimes for you guys, maybe summer is just way too hot and you're doing shade cloth and you're trying to cool everything down. It's not really a good time to plant cucumbers and tomatoes. So you're planting more, you know, in fall because it's just cooler. Yeah, we... Um... I mean, I do do all that in the summertime, but we typically get our best harvest in the late summer and early fall. And in fact, my sister just moved to Southern Florida and she was telling me um, that a lot of her neighbors are telling her, you just don't grow things in the summertime there because it's just too hot. So they pretty much start their garden in the fall 
and then grow throughout the winter and into the probably early summer. And they just don't get outside and grow in the summertime. So it really just depends on where you live. But I do think um, a really important thing for people to know is cool weather vegetables versus warm weather vegetables. I know we've talked about that a lot on the podcast as well. But if you know what type of vet or what type of weather the vegetable you're growing thrives in, then you'll be able to kind of look at your weather, look at your weather patterns over the past couple of years, like you talked about on weather com or whatever that website was. And then you can gauge planting the right kind of vegetables during the season in which they thrive. So I think that's really the key to um, being able to harvest a lot is right. knowing the temperature that the vegetables you're, you're planting thrive in. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, to um, just add to that, there's soil temperature and there's ambient temperature. And that's something you just have to learn as, as mm -hmm. a gardener. Now, you know, kind of to wrap up, we're already going into, um, I think our 50th minute, which is we're getting pretty, fired up about this topic. Right? Yeah. I, I could keep talking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, on Christmas Eve, I had a nice sewage backup into my yes. cellar, which was, yes. it, it all worked out. Everything turned out fine. However, water was pooling down there. Um, risk of it kind of flooding through the entire floor. So I used wood pellets, um, to kind of surround the pooling water, took care of the problem, and then just put in more wood pellets. The wood pellets are what you burn in a wood stove. They're basically compressed salt, sawdust. Anyway, they absorbed up everything. You know, I shoveled it out, crisis averted mostly. Um, but now it's sitting in my compost pile. And that's something you can do now here on the East Coast. Um, even if the ground's frozen, it's a little tough. But with the way this weather's going, because before our snow yesterday, it was 60, 65 degrees. Temperatures plunged 30 degrees. Oh, and then we crazy. got the snowstorm. Wow. So something tells me it's going to be 50 again. But you can start getting weeds and leaves that are sitting around or grass or whatever you want and just throw it in a pile somewhere on the East Coast, even where it's cold, and just get that process started. Because composting, the hardest thing about composting, I find, is people actually getting started and doing it. Yeah, and sometimes collecting enough materials as well is tough to get a big pile so that you can get a hot compost. So if you're doing that over the winter time you know, over the several months where it's cold there on the East coast, then you're, you know, you'll have a nice big pile collected by the time the spring hits, but then Gary, tell me how it works there. Cause once it freezes and then thaws and freezes and thaws, that's going to really help the breakdown process. So, you know, it's, it's definitely to your benefit to begin collecting that stuff now, even if it's going to be frozen. Yeah. So one of the benefits of the East coast is our uh, fall leaves. So mm -hmm. I do strictly a leaf compost and just Everything is co called compost, like anything that breaks down or decomposes, that's compost. When you do leaves, sometimes people call it leaf mold. It's still compost. But I just mm -hmm. put the leaves in a pile and that moisture, the cold, the freezing, the cold, a nice slow, cold process of, of fungus and molds break that down into wonderful stuff. And the worms get in there, too. And the worms yeah. break it down and leave leaf casting. So you can do just a leaf compost here on the East Coast. And then, like you said, I do a pile of just different stuff. And then come spring when the lawn is growing, I'll do really 50% green grass, 50% of that pile. And that starts a kind of warmer compost uh, process going. And, you know, you, you have lots of options, but just get those piles yeah. started. And I keep a little tub under my kitchen sink, like a little ice cream, gallon ice cream pail. And that's where I put all my kitchen scraps. So I find that if I make it easy, keep it under my kitchen sink, 
and then go out and dump it in my big compost pile. Um, you know, when it fills up that way, you're making good use of your coffee grounds, your eggshells, you know, any of your little, um, uh, garden or not garden, uh, kitchen waste, that kind of thing. You just don't want to put meat or bread or, you know, things like that in there. Um, cause I find that once you get that out in the compost pile, it attracts the critters. It will eventually right. break down, but it's not the best thing in the world to have outside. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's the other thing too, is the critters that you get are different mm -hmm. than what I might get, um, in my area and yeah. being on, um, two acres and I'm not in the rural, yeah, rural. <laughs> I can't ever say that rural, word. Rural, yeah. <laughs> rural, um, kind of suburb, rural, whatever. Um, I'm lucky enough to have hawks that just sit around in the trees. So anytime yes. something comes to kind of mess with the compost, if they're small, the hawks get them. So that's pretty cool. But, Circle of life. Yeah, but that's something to keep in mind too, is that each yeah. garden, depending on what you're composting, you know, um, might have to change based on what you have around. I know like some people love using bone meal and blood meal and organic fertilizers, but they have a neighborhood cat or two that <laughs> smell that and just come and dig up their garden. You know, you don't want the hawk yeah. taking out, taking <laughs> out right. the cats. So, Make it work for, you know, uh, for your area. But you a lot of people think they need a huge space for compost. And, you know, I've, heard, I've had people, some people say, you know what, I only, I have an apartment, I have a balcony, I can't compost. But you can actually compost in a five-gallon container. Um, I have a video mm -hmm. on that. As long as you get your materials like nice and almost pulverized. In fact, I put mine in the blender when I um, was trying to trying it out in a, a five-gallon container, and it actually broke down like within about six weeks. So um, yeah, it could work no matter what kind of space you have. It works. Yeah. The other the other thing, you know, I guess to wrap up, in January is a time where a bunch of us East Coasters look through all the seed catalogs. We, a lot of seed catalogs are free. If you don't know that you can just get online, look up free seed catalogs. Um, but that's when we order those. We sit back, kind of look through them, buy way too many seeds, buy seeds that we don't Always. need to buy, um, <laughs> buy seeds again for 2022 that maybe it was me that bought in 2021, never used. And now oh, yeah. you have two packs of the seeds, but anyway, it's a lot of fun and it's just something to kind of take your mind off of maybe the cold winters, um, or not being able to get outside. And I also do actually kind of sketch on graph paper, different ideas for planning out changes in my garden. And it's just a fun exercise. Is this a good way to pass the time in the winter time if you can't get outside? And just a little plug here, Gary, for both yours and my seed shop. I know you have got a ton of seeds on your seed shop, seed starting supplies. Um, myself, I have 24, four now, I think, seed collections, launching six more in January. And they're kind of handy because they're little kits, usually five to 10 types of varieties in each kit arranged by growing season or type of vegetable. So I do try and make it easy for people. But we totally appreciate your support of our seed shop. If you're out there searching for seeds, go to the restogarden.com or calikimgardenhome.com. We would love to send some out to you. And that really makes it easy, having your pre-made kits and being able to uh, kind of just deliver the seed packs to them. It's pretty much a no brainer, especially if you're busy, and you don't want to go out shopping for seeds or, or if you're a first time gardener and you just don't know what to buy. So uh, I've done all that work for you. And if you're thinking about starting seeds indoors, I know you have the collection. I also have the seed packs at my shop, but I sell the seed starting supply. So you can get seed flats, you can get the six pack cells, and you can even get bigger cells. If you want to just use those, you know, please check out the rustedgarden.com. And also, it's a good time now, since we're talking about January, to cozy up by the fire and read a book. 
Gary's got his book, The Modern Homestead Garden. And again, you can uh, pre-order The First Time Gardener, The Raised Bed Gardening, um, and get a $10 Calicim gift card. And uh, we would love to have you um, check those out as well. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's been a ton of fun. Really appreciate all your support, all your feedback, and make sure you send your questions and answers or your questions, that is. We'll give you the answers. uh, We'll give you the answers to uh, gardeningcoasttocoast at gmail.com or over at gardeningcoasttocoast.net. And that's gardeningcoast, the number two, coast at .net or gmail.com. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.